0: We've, we've been in the middle of this series. In the last two weeks, We talked first we talked about American individualism and how that can become an idol, this me first idol. And then last week, my wife Palfour talked about the Hmong idol of saving face. How, and it's not that that is a bad thing, that, that it's not that that is an evil thing, but it can become this major driving force. In our lives. So we talked about one one idol that is unique to each culture. Now, for the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about three idols that are common to both. Okay? Money, sex, and power. Today we're gonna start with money. Okay? And and that really is, I mean, that Hmong culture, um, Mika culture, they're pretty much every culture in the world has kind of idolized, has, has lifted up money and those who have it to near idle status. And so before we get too deep into here, I wanna give a little bit of a plug for a series that we did last summer called Trusting God with Your Finances. We spent eight weeks talking about money. Uh, It was great. Uh, I encourage you. I mean, there's only so much I could do with one sermon. Um, So I encourage you. If money is something that's a big driving force in your life, it's up on our website, riverlifemn.com slash sermons. It's up there. I encourage you put those while you're cooking dinner, play them on your tablet, plug it into your stereo, listen to them on your drive at work. I encourage you to to check those out. It's a great series. It was one of our most, most watched series of 2015 online. So go check it out. Trusting God with your finances. Okay? So, today I want to start with a question. I want to start with a question. What's been your worst money mistake? What has been your worst money mistake another way to think about it is what money decision do you regret the most so as i thought about this for me um so back in 2005 before and i were living in this this nice modest uh, three-bedroom home in brooklyn park and it got it was getting pretty full we actually ended up with like 10 people in a three-bedroom it really was a mong house um, and so, so we, mo- we decided to move. We decided to sell that house, and we moved into a large house. Um, a number of you have been to our house out in Champlin, um, and again, and, yeah, and it was big. And at that time, it was wonderful, but you know what? Within a year, most of those eight other people in the, who were living with us moved out, which left us with a big house. And one of the problems with the big house is then you got to fill it with big furniture. (laughs) So then we started filling a big house with big furniture. And we just kind of got sucked into this giant house. And along with the giant house came a giant mortgage payment. And now, don't get me wrong, we loved that house. I loved it. We had so much fun. We had so many gatherings, so much ministry. It was a wonderful house. But nonetheless... After many years, we were in there for nine years uh, until we moved to our current house over in Vadnais Heights. Um, but uh, right, right around year six or seven, we started, to, both people and I started to get this sense of, you know what, this wasn't a smart decision. This house really locked us in to an amount of money that we would have to generate every month. And we actually began to regret making that choice. Again, we loved the house, Loved it. We were able to stay in it the whole time. Didn't default or anything like that. But we still regretted that decision because it just consumed so much of our income to be able to stay there. And so what about you? What do you can you think of something in your past that's your greatest money mistake? What is it, what is it for you? Maybe, maybe it's your credit card debt. You've racked up a whole bunch, maybe even spread it across a few credit cards, and now you're looking at thousands of dollars to pay back. And you have no idea. You're hitting the minimum payment each month and you have no idea how you're gonna get out of that. Huh? Or maybe it's shopping that you just love shopping and you love getting new clothes, new dresses, the latest Nikes. you got to get the new one and the Kobe's come out and you got to get those and, and you have a whole lighted wall for your shoes, guys. I've seen those Facebook pictures, okay? So it's not just the ladies. So maybe it's shopping. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a student loan. You took out this big loan for school, and like, like our house, I loved our house. You might have loved college, but maybe you're sitting here with 40, 50, 60,000 in student loans thinking, I'm gonna be paying this off with my social security checks. So what is it for you? Maybe it's that one purchase. You decided to go big one day and get something, and now it just sits in your house. Or it's all, it already became obsolete and you're still paying it off and you regret making that purchase. Or maybe you're just not saving anything. There's this phenomenon that happens with a, as you progress from job to job in a career, you get a little bit more salary, you know what happens? A little bit more salary, a little bit more spending, a little bit more salary, a little bit more spending. And, and three years later, you could be making more money than you were at a college, but you have no extra money. You have no savings uh, because each time you get a little bit more, you spend a little bit more. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it, what, when you think about your biggest money mistake. But I can bet one thing. I am fairly confident that your biggest money mistake revolved around one concept, wanting more. Wanting more. I know ours did. That's kind of what that house was all about. It was kind of wanting more. That's that's how we get into credit card debt. That's how we overspend, overshop, we don't save. Because fundamentally, I, I'm willing to bet for most of you, your biggest money regret is connected to the sense of wanting more. And the, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, and it's not just because nice stuff is nice, okay? It's not just that. It actually has to do with the nature of money. And so I want to give you a premise first today, and then we're going to talk about some scripture that elaborates, okay? So I want to give you this premise, that money is a possessive God. It always wants more. Money is a possessive God money is not a benevolent god money is not a patient god money is a possessive god it always wants more of you it always wants more of your life it always wants more of your time it always wants more of your attention money is a possessive god jesus knew this that's why he actually talked about money More than any other single topic in the New Testament. Out of the four Gospels, he actually talked more about money. Even heaven and hell combined. Because he knows, he knew, that money is a possessive God. It is never satisfied. And that's part of what makes it so dangerous. Part of what makes it so insidious is that it is never satisfied. Now, if money were a person, because remember, mo- money as a god always wants more and more. It's very possessive. So if money were a person, it would be this person. <laughs> For those who don't recognize this young lady, that, that's the overly attached girlfriend meme. Okay? If, you, if you have no idea what that means, then clearly you don't live your li- life by memes. You can Google overly attached girlfriend. You'll find out all about her. But that's what money would be. Money would be the overly attached girlfriend, overly attached boyfriend. Who's always wanting more and that's that's what's so dangerous about it so when it when it came to this idea there I I could have picked a ton of different passages to illustrate this idea but but I had to go back to one I had to go back to one because this particular passage is sort of the defining passage when it comes to the God of money Jesus taught it as part of a long sermon. It's actually the longest recorded sermon in the Gospels. It's so long it has its own name. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. Because it was a sermon and he was on a mountain. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they weren't really original neighbors back then, okay? But it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus stepped in, it's one of his first recorded sermons. We don't know if it's for sure the very first one, but it, it was pretty darn close, okay? But, but he set up this, this whole long sermon that's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with one basic premise. I want to define and redefine what living in relationship with God looks like. And he took what we would call about three chapters to describe this, to define and redefine what living in relationship with God looks like. And there was a section in chapter six where he talked about money. And we're going to look at that today. Okay, so, so if, you, if you like to follow along on your Bible or your phone, you can follow along. This is Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. So Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. Matthew's the first of the Gospels, first book in the New Testament, you can see there. You can kind of cl- click or flip to it. And so, so we're going to start, okay? And remember, money is a possessive God, Okay. Jesus says do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal but store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and Where thieves do not break in and steal For where your treasure is there your heart will be also Okay, so here's the first contrast he sets up the first contrast he sets up is where are you building your treasures? Where are you investing? And he he compares investing in earthly stuff and investing in heavenly stuff. And he says the earthly stuff, and we all know this, we've all had stuff that has broken, rusted, gone obsolete. By the time you like walk out of Best Buy, it's already obsolete. Okay, we've all had that stuff. We all know that our stuff breaks. The best job you get you might lose or quit. <laughs> um, it, that's what happens to earthly stuff. And back then, it was, it was, it was rodents, vermin, rust, moths, things, things like that. And he contrasts that with heavenly investment, treasures in heaven. Okay. Now, I think for our purposes, it's less important to say, okay, exactly what are treasures in heaven? Instead, we're going to focus on this this idea of where is your money going? Where is your money going? And that's the problem with focusing on earth, focusing on this life, because our money goes to stuff that doesn't last. It breaks down. It falls apart. It gets stolen. We lose it. That's the reality. But treasures in heaven last. And so he sets up this this contrast and then he drops this amazing statement. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will always follow your money. Don't be fooled for a second. Your heart will always follow your money. And that's why it's so dangerous that, that Money is a possessive God because money will always want more of you. It will always want more of your money. It will always want more of your time, more of your energy, more of your focus. And you know what? You give it enough and it gets your heart. And that's a really dangerous place to be. When money has a hold of your heart, then it becomes this idol it becomes this counterfeit or fake God, right? And that's a really dangerous place to be. Let's continue with what Jesus is talking about. So, so first, and this is kind of, this, this passage is in three sections. The first section was about treasures. Here's the second section. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, Your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness how great is that darkness another way to say that that last line is that uh, that if you're supposed to have light in you and instead you have darkness oh how sad is that how heart-wrenching is that okay now this is a little harder passage to understand. In fact, I, as I read through my three favorite commentaries that I do for pretty much almost every sermon, there are three favorites, all three of them had a different interpretation of this passage. Okay? So usually what that means, the truth is, we don't really know what Jesus was saying here. Okay? The details of it, we, can, we still get a pretty good picture here. But there's some cultural pieces that seem to be kind of lost in antiquity. And we just don't know, okay? But in, in cases like that, I usually tend to go with the simplest answer, the simplest understanding of what these passages could be. And, and so, so I want to kind of tell you a little bit about what the simplest way to understand these, okay? So, so first is this healthy, unhealthy language, okay? So if we go to the previous verse, you'll see that talks about unhealthy, Okay? That if your, your, um, your eyes are unhealthy, or, or sorry, it starts with healthy actually. So if your eyes are healthy, okay, that's not like your eyes have good blood pressure, no heart disease or anything like that, or, or you don't need glasses. That's, that's actually not what this word healthy means. This word healthy actually has this connotation in Greek, the original Greek, has this sense of generous. Okay? Now it's beginning to make a little bit more sense. Because this is a whole section on money. So now if we read this and say, if your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. Okay? Now it's beginning to make a little bit more sense. Okay, now if we go to the next verse, to 23, this unhealthy, unhealthy, says that if your eyes are unhealthy, that actually means the opposite. It sort of means like stingy. If your eyes are stingy. So it raises a great question. Are your eyes generous or are they stingy? When you see something, is your first reaction, oh man, I'd love that. Or, oh man, I know who would love that. See the difference? Are your eyes generous or are they stingy? Because money is a possessive God. It hoards for itself. That's the fundamental definition of being possessive. That that money as a God always wants for itself. So the more unhealthy slash stingy your eyeballs are, the less light you have inside you. And the more generous, the more light is inside you the more you are resisting against this God of money. So let's continue. And here he really brings it home. He really hits it hard and great with this one. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus does two really interesting things with this one. You cannot serve both God and money. So the first thing he does is that, that phrase, serve both God and money. Okay? Or Actually, we'll, we'll start at the top. Serve two masters. Okay? That's not like, like a butler serving two masters. He goes to one house, cooks dinner, goes to the next house. No, no. Okay? This language is actually servitude, it's slavery language, okay? So a better term, and now, now I will say this because it's always a little sensitive when you start t- throwing around the word slavery. Slavery back then was a little different than slavery as it was in the Deep South in America. Um, it's still, you were still a, owned by another person, but most servant slash slaves were treated a little bit better. They were more sort of part of a person's household, Um, But they were still owned. They did not have freedom. They did not have rights. Uh, And so when you see this, you really can read this. You can't be a slave to two masters. It doesn't work like that. Because a master owns you. Remember, money is a possessive God. Money is a master that will own you. And likewise, when you're living, following Christ, full of the Spirit, pursuing God's, denying yourself, then God owns you. And the real question is, who do you want as your master? That's kind of the implication of this, isn't it? You're going to have a master. Who do you want as your master? One who gives, as God does, or one who takes, as money does? Now, the second interesting thing he does in this passage is the last line. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus does a very unusual thing here that kind of gets lost in translation because in the original Greek, he doesn't use the normal word money. There's actually a normal word for money, argurion. There you go. You you know a little Greek you can impress your friends at the next dinner party. Okay? Speak a little Greek to people. Oh, hello, argurion. Okay? You just said like money or silver. And if you have friends that are that impressed by some Greek, dude, you need some higher-class friends, okay? Now, uh, so, argurion, that's the normal word for money. It refers to money or silver, because they had silver coins they exchanged. But that's not what Jesus used. He used another word. And uh, by the way, any, like, King James fans, anyone like their King James Bible or or grew up with the King James? Okay, you might know another word for this, mammon. Mammon. A lot of the older translations actually translate this word as m- the money as mammon. That is a transliteration of the Greek word mammonos. So, so it's this word mammon. Now what's interesting, this word is only used twice in the New Testament, okay? Mammonos, this word for money. So it's really tough to know what it means other than money, but here's the trick. Yeah. It, it, you ever wonder how, what a word means? One of the best ways to look at it is go to its roots. Okay? Go to the root word. You know what the root word of mammon, or in Greek, mammonos? It's trust. The root word of this is the thing you trust. So what Jesus is, is saying here is he did not pick a neutral word for money. That would have been this other one, argurion. He picked the the word that means money you trust in. And now, this makes a lot more sense. You cannot serve a God you trust in if you're serving the money you trust in. God is there to put our trust in. He, He is a reliable, he is trustworthy. But money The money you trust in is not. Because if you've ever had any investments, put things in the stock market, the housing market, you know, money is not trustworthy. It will come and it will go. And so that's why I think Jesus used that really unique word for money. Because money is not neutral. Neutral. There are some who who will say that money's not bad, it's all about how you use it, and there is truth to that. Money isn't bad, but money is powerful. And when left unchecked, money becomes a possessive God. Money uses all of that power to take from you. And Jesus says you can only put your trust in one thing. So what do you put your trust in? Now, you know, it's interesting. One of the books I'm reading here as part of this series is uh, a book from by uh, uh, Pastor Tim Keller from New York called Counterfeit Gods. It's a wonderful book. I encourage you, if if, if you know Tim Keller or, or this has been an interesting series, I encourage you. It's called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. He tells an interesting story here. He says that he's been a pastor for years, and in all of his years of, of pastoring, he's had people come to him and confess nearly every sin imaginable and i mean i've been pastoring for a few years and youth pastoring for so i mean i've certainly heard my fair share of sins certainly not every sin imaginable but he's been at it a, a much longer so he said he he's had people come and confess every sin imaginable but he's never had someone walk into his office and say pastor i think i'm a greedy person He's had people come in and say that I'm a drunk, I'm a sex addict, I'm a liar, I'm compulsive. But he's never had someone come in and say, Pastor, I think I'm a greedy person. And that's part of what makes this God of money so difficult to spot is because nobody believes they're a greedy person with the exception maybe of, of like Gordon Gecko from the movie Wall Street or Donald Trump. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Donald does believe he's a greedy person. I don't know. But, but it's true that, that nobody says, it's not one of those sins you commonly confess to somebody. But the truth is, some of us are. And that's what makes this really hard to tell. How do you know if you're, ser- if you're serving this money you trust in? How do you know if you're serving this possessive God of money? There is an answer to that, believe it or not. There is an answer, and it's actually a pretty easy answer to tell. There is one characteristic in the life of a person that is the dead giveaway about whether they are serving this possessive God of money. There's one characteristic in a person that tells you right away whether they've turned money into an idol, you know what it is—contentment. Contentment—that is the surefire test about whether you or I have turned God into a, into an—I uh, sorry—turned money into an idol—is contentment. Because remember, money is a possessive god. Money is a, it always wants more. So the easiest way to know if you're not trapped by it, is if you don't want more. If you don't want more. Okay, so, so I, I, I'll ask you, okay, who is more content? A person with six kids or six million dollars? Who's more content? That's easy. The person with six kids, because they don't want any more. <laughs> See, now that joke kills in a white church. Because <laughs> nobody could imagine having six kids. Like for a black church, I should probably change that to like 12 kids. Okay, <laughs> Contextualize it a little bit. But, but the person with $5 million or $10 million, you know what? They want more. Because money is a possessive God. It always wants more. And the the way to tell if it's not you is contentment. So I'll ask you the question, how content are you? How content are you with your life right now? I'm gonna give you a few areas of your life to kind of poke in a little bit, to test your contentment. How content are you with your job right now? Now notice, I didn't ask how happy you are with your job, okay? <laughs> That's a whole different question. But how content are you with your job? Or are you always kind of looking for the next one? You're in something, okay, yeah, I mean, it might not be the best. Maybe you're in a great job, but are you looking for the next one? Are you looking for one that might get you a little higher up the corporate ladder? Are you looking for one that might bring you a little bit more money? Get you a little bit more perks? If you're constantly looking for the next job or the next opportunity, you're probably not very content in your job. And it might mean that you've turned this pursuit of money into an idol. Okay, next one. How content are you with your wardrobe? How content are you with your closet? Do you like the clothes you have in there? And again, again, I'm not asking do you fit into the clothes in your closet? Okay. Again, not the question. But how content are you? Or are you always looking? Are you always out for the next cute top? You follow the size to see when the next pair of shoes are being released? Or you want this season's colors that pink's the new black, which is the new brown, which is the new black, or what? So are you constantly looking? Are you constantly wanting to add because you don't quite, I just don't quite have the right pair of shoes for this pair of pants? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Sorry, hon. (laughs) Okay. So how content are you with your wardrobe? Okay, next. How content are you with your housing situation? Whether, Whether you've got a house, whether you're in an apartment, whether you're living with parents, either his, hers, your own, somebody's. Some total strangers, a roommate. How content are you with your housing situation right now? Or if you've got a house, are you kind of uh, wondering maybe, maybe if we get that promotion six months from now, we can we can move out, we can upgrade. Um, we did that when before when and I were first married. Um, we we were in seven apartments in seven years. Which yeah, we needless to say we did not have many friends by the end of that. <laughs> But, but what happened was, like, each time I'd, I'd get a little bit of a raise, she'd get a little bit of a raise, be like, okay, we're ditching this apartment. We're, we're, this one now has a spa or a pool, okay? We upgrade a little bit. And then when, when she went back to school, we downgraded a little bit. But then she started working, we upgraded a little bit. Year after year, we were chasing the next bigger apartment. So what about you? How content are you with your housing situation? Again, I'm not asking whether you like it, (laughs) okay? But are you content? Okay. Uh, Lastly, last question, how content are you with your phone? I figured I'd end with one that would just bust all of you, okay? How content are you with your phone? Unless you just picked it up, like, last week, chances are you're walking around being like, oh, man, I wish I could, like, like, I I just got mine less than a year ago. Before I got hers a month or two, her takes astronomically better video and pictures than mine. But I'm content with my phone. I'm content with my phone. I'm content with my phone, okay? (laughs) How content are you with your phone? Or are you always looking at what the next one is? the next better one, the next fastest one? Are you waiting to be like, oh, wait, can I trade it in, in the halfway if I'm on the pay-as-you-go? Can I do the, the, this? And if I'm on the rollover thing, and can I get, when can I get a new phone? Okay? If you're constantly asking that, you might not be too content, which means you might be falling prey to something that wants more and more and more of you. So how content are you? All of these... Are Signs All of these are hints that you might have turned money into a God All of these and, and and here's the thing remember money is a possessive God It'll rob you of your treasures It'll rob you of your contentment It'll rob you of your peace. It'll pull you to invest in stuff that won't last instead of stuff that will and it'll it'll make you stingy it'll make you selfish this god of money wants more and more of you and eventually as jesus said you'll turn into its slave where it will own you outright so some of you some of you i know need to put god back on the throne And you need to dethrone money. And money's got a grip on you. And and whether money's got a one-finger grip or money's got the whole two-fist hold on you, it is never too late to say no. It is never too late to to, uh, kind of uh, usurp the power of this God. The Bible calls that repenting which simply means admitting where you've gone wrong. So, so we got a couple more songs at the end here like we always do, and this will be a wonderful time for you to sing, to reflect, and let God kind of poke around your heart a little bit. Because remember, nobody admits they're greedy. But if you let God hold of your heart, if you let him get, get into your heart, he can show you. And God is gentle, And God is kind. He does not want to hammer you. He wants to gently show you if money has become a God in your life. And then you have the opportunity to renounce it. There's a good old church word for you. Renounce that God. You know what that just means? Kick it out. Kick it off the throne and let God back on. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Uh, Thank you that you love us. God, and you, every day, every week, you give us an opportunity to turn back to you, to take the things off the throne that we've put on, to renounce, to kick out the counterfeit gods that we've set up in our lives. And I pray a special prayer today for anyone in here Who has made a God out of money who has lost their contentment in you and has allowed money to take more and more of them so God I pray for them right now and I kick that God out I kick out that counterfeit God of money and leave leave the throne of their life open for you and, God, I pray, I pray for, the, for the non-Christians in here, the ones who aren't quite sure about this Jesus thing, God, that you come down, you make yourself known to them, that they experience your love in all of its greatness, in all of its fullness. And, God, I thank you that you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are, your creation. I pray this in your name. Amen.